The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Gosh, it feels like every other sermon begins with these words these days. But as I reflect upon the past couple of, uh, past couple of years, I don't know if you've been doing a little bit of reflecting upon the past couple of, of extraordinary years, but, uh, but I, I, do, I do that from time to time. And as I was kind of digging into Psalm 125, I, I began to wonder if we, and by we I certainly mean me, if, if I, if, if we don't pray too many prayers for deliverance and too few prayers for perseverance. So often this, for, for myself, comes from my own aversion to suffering and, and my own addiction to comfort, right? And I think as, as Americans, uh, we've grown comfortable with comfort, right? And it's just like, throw a little bit of money at it and uh, uh, bring myself some, some comfort. And so, so often our, our prayer for deliverance is, Lord, make it stop, remove me from this trial, remove me from this suffering, remove me from this peril. But here's the thing. Uh, prayers for deliverance haven't been answered over the past couple of years in the way that we would have liked, have they? <laughs> and look, that, that's not to say that deliverance is a bad thing to pray for. We, we should pray for deliverance. I, I don't want to discourage that. Surely, see, surely we see prayers for deliverance uh, in the Scriptures. Not only that, but we see the Lord carry out acts of deliverance in the Scriptures as well. In, in our psalm from last week, Psalm 124, was a psalm of deliverance, was it not? And yet, it was the Lord Jesus who prayed to His Father, let this cup pass, who also endured the agony of the cross. And it was the Lord Jesus who told his disciples things like this. In this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have trouble. He told his disciples things like this. A, a, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so we see that Jesus promised, Jesus promised his followers a lot of things. Among those promises, brothers and sisters, was the promise of trial. He promised them persecution. You see, as, as God's people living in this not yet perfect, still fallen world, there are some trials uh, which we must Endure. Deliverance, in the sense of being removed from the trial, or, or, or the trial being removed from us, will not always come quickly. And so what? Pray, prayers for deliverance? Yes, yes, of course. But, if we're only praying prayers asking for deliverance and we're not praying prayers asking for perseverance and endurance, then I would argue that our prayer life is incomplete. 
And our, our psalm this morning, Psalm 125, it, it's going to help us with this. Again, while last week's text, Psalm 124, was a psalm of deliverance, the focus of this week's psalm is perseverance. And here's a big idea that we want to pull out of the text. We're going to see presented to us as we, uh, as, as we work through it verse by verse. In the face of wickedness, might also say in the face of trial, Jesus will protect those who truly trust in him so that they are able to persevere in faith. In the face of wickedness, Jesus will protect those who truly trust in him so that they are able to persevere in faith. And so we're going to work our way through this psalm. Um, we're, we're going to leave verse 3, which I think is the emphasis of the entire text. We're going to leave that until last. So we're going to focus on, on the first two verses. First, where we're going to see an assurance for those who trust. An assurance for those who trust. In the final two verses then, we're going to see a warning for those who turn. And then finally, in, in verse 3, we are going to see a promise for those enduring, a promise for you and me as, as we endure trial and suffering in the face of many of the things facing our, our psalmist in Psalm 125. And so then, let's begin with the first couple of verses and an assurance for those who trust. Now, the, the, the psalmist begins by giving a word of assurance for those who trust, the Lord's faithful people. And he does so using two different but very much related uh, pictures. The first picture comes in verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord, says the psalmist, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Now, Mount Zion refers to the mountain on which the temple was located in southern Jerusalem. That's what we're talking about here with Mount Zion. For, for God's people, this was a very important place. This was a very important mountain, packed with a lot of history and a lot of significance and meaning. For God's people, Mount Zion was, was a place of God's presence. For God's people, it was a, a place of God's protection and God's blessing. And we're told that those who trust in the Lord are like this place, are like this mount. They're, they're like Mount Zion. They're, they're like the mount of God's presence and protection. They're unshakable. They're immovable. They're secure. They're steadfast. And, and like the mount that abides forever, the psalmist says, they too will stand and abide forever. So then the faithful people of God are like Mount Zion, immovable and secure, simple enough. But this isn't where the psalmist leaves it. If, if so, I might argue that we, we could be led to the conclusion that, that somehow... God's people are to become independently strong, capable, and powerful, and self-reliant. But look, Psalm 125 isn't to just believe in yourself kind of psalm. I want to make that clear. The message isn't you're good enough and you're strong enough, so doggone it, just try harder. Just try harder, and maybe you can be like 
Mount Zion. You see, the the picture in verse 1 is followed by a second picture in verse 2. And and again, these two pictures are very much related to one another. Verse 2 says, as a mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore. Remember, Mount Zion is in Jerusalem. In fact, Mount Zion and Jerusalem in, in Scripture are oftentimes used interchangeably. And, and one commentator, Alan Ross, gives us, some helpful, uh, gives us a helpful geography lesson so that we know how these two verses are related. Uh, Ross says this, The old city of Jerusalem was built on Mount Zion. On three sides there were valleys, but on the other side of the valleys, a ring of mountains or hills that provided a natural defense for the city. Mount Zion was nestled in between these protective ridges. And so why is it that those who trust in the Lord cannot be moved? How is it that they will dwell securely and abide forever? Look, it's not because of their own strength or because of their own grit or because of their own fortitude, Mount Zion was secure because of the protection provided by its surrounding hills. It was was surrounded by, encompassed by protection. And as we see in verse 2, just as Jerusalem is surrounded by these mountains which provided its security, so too are the people of God surrounded by the Lord's presence and the Lord's protection. You see, we, as the people of God, the people who trust in God, we are secure, not because we will it to be so, but we are secure because the Lord has made us secure. The Lord surrounds us. He's he's got us covered on all sides. On the left and the right and the front, He's got your six. His protection, it's, it's comprehensive. His protection, it's, it's without vulnerability. And because of it, we stand strong, immovable, unshakable, abiding forever. Now, we already saw a few weeks ago in Psalm 121 that the Lord is our keeper. We read things like, He will not let your foot be moved. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's the shade on your right hand. And who, in the final verses of that psalm, we read this, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Notice that last phrase, from this time forth and forevermore. That's from Psalm 121. Where else do we see this phrase? from this time forth and forevermore. It's in verse 2 of our psalm this morning, 125. You see, so often the focus of our our prayers, and our, our prayers for deliverance in particular, so often our focus is on our immediate situation and circumstances. Deliver me, Lord, from this evil. Deliver me from this moment. Protect me from this trial. This, this psalm of, of preservation and perseverance, it, it's, its promises go so much further than that, don't they? 
See, the Lord is, is the keeper of his people who trust in him. He stands guard over your life, over your being, over your very soul. He surrounds you with his protection so that, like Mount Zion, you cannot and will not be moved. And he protects you from this time forth and forevermore. He's not just your keeper now, but he's your, he's your keeper forevermore. So that you will abide, not just in this moment through this trial, but in order that you will abide forever. And none that the Lord keeps will be moved, and none that the Lord keeps will be taken from him. Now, it's, it's at this point we should slow down and, and make a critical observation, make something very clear. Who, who is this promise for? Who does the keeper keep? We want to make sure that we're the kept ones, don't we? Who exactly is like Mount Zion? Who are surrounded by the Lord's protection? There's a critical distinction that the psalmist wants to make clear in this text. In this psalm, you see, we see two contrasting groups of people highlighted. On the one hand, we see the first group in verse 1, those who trust. Those who trust. This word trust means to, to find one's security, one's strength, one's ability to endure, one's confidence in someone or something. That, that's what it, it means to trust. There's a, a, a deep sense of, of, of what we're getting at here with this word trust. You see that the assurance that we find in the first two verses of this psalm are for those who trust in the Lord in this way. Their confidence, their safety, their security is found in Him. And, and so the question that we have to ask is a very simple question. Do you trust in Jesus like this? Do you trust in Jesus in this way? Do you find your security, not just right here, right now in this moment, but your eternal security in Him? Have you trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins? for the appeasement of, of God's judgment and wrath for you and for your sin? Do you find your security, your strength, and your ability to endure? Do you find your confidence and your sense of identity in Him? Is, is Jesus the trusted keeper of your soul? That's the first question we need to ask ourselves this morning, and it's a critical question. It's a very critical question, and, and look, if, if so, if your answer is yes, then the assurances of verses 1 and 2, they are for you, and, and if not, look, this, is, this is a place where you can bring your doubts, you can bring your questions, but this is a place where I hope and I pray that we're always going to be truthful with you, always welcoming to you, but, but at the same time, always truthful and and truthful in love. And so if, if not, then perhaps you need to heed the warning for the second group of people that the psalmist talks about, those who turn. That brings us to, to point number two, verse four. It says this, do good, O Lord. This is the psalmist crying out to the Lord in prayer. His prayer is, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Do good, Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright. Now, we aren't given a lot of specifics about what the psalmist is facing here. 
But we do know that according to what we read in verse 3, that God's people are under the authority of some kind of evil government or, or, or wicked rule. This is what's meant by uh, this word scepter in verse 3, the, the scepter of, of wickedness. Now, it could be referring to a, to a wicked Israelite king. This could be like a, a pre-exilic text. Or perhaps this psalm was written during the time of exile and God's people are under the rule of a pagan Gentile king and nation. Whichever it is, and it it doesn't really concern us which, which it is. Whichever it is, though, it's, it's clear that the government, that the ruling authorities are corrupt. It's clear that the governing authorities are unjust. It's clear that the governing authorities, that these wicked rulers mean harm for God's people and not good. And the psalmist is here saying, God, it seems as if the wicked and the corrupt and the crooked are getting ahead and being rewarded for their sinful ways while your people suffer and languish for walking in your ways and for trusting you. I wonder if you've ever been tempted to pray a prayer like this. I wonder if you've ever made an observation like this. What it, it, it feels like in the world as I look around that those who oppose you are the ones getting ahead and th- those who follow you, those who love you, those who trust you, they're the ones who are suffering. Well, this is, this is an observation that the psalmist has made as well. And so he cries out to the Lord asking for justice and vindication in the face of this grave and wicked injustice. And he says, do Lord, O good, to those who are good. And so again, this brings us to a question that we ought to be asking. The first question was, do you trust Jesus? The second question is this, and this is, a, this is the question that we asked all the way back in the introduction week to this Psalms of Ascent series, and that is this, who's the good person? Who is the good person? The, the psalmist cries out, Lord, do good to those who are good. We need to know then, who are those who are good? Who is a good person? Who is a righteous person? Who, we're told in Psalm 1, enjoys God's blessing, much like the the psalmist is praying for here in verse 4. Well, Psalm 14 would tell us that no one fits this description, which might be a little bit troubling. Psalm 14 verse 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if There are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Verse 14 tells us that none are inherently good before a a holy God who looks down upon man from heaven. No, No one does good, not even one. Well, who then is, is the psalmist talking about? Who are the good that he's praying that the Lord would bless? Well, Psalm 125 gives us the same answer that we saw in Psalm 2. According to our psalmist, to be good is to trust in the Lord. 
To be good is to trust in the Lord. To be good is to trust in His goodness. To be good is to walk with Him in obedience to Him by faith. Those who trust and seek ref- those who trust Him and seek refuge in Him are the ones who will be blessed. They're the ones who will receive His blessing. Again, this, this psalm, it's, it's not about towing a line of perfection and obedience to the Lord. It's walking and trusting faith in Him and persevering in that faith. And so the, the psalmist cries out with this prayer, asking the Lord to bless those who trust Him, to do good to those who are good. And this prayer is followed by a warning for those who fail to do just that and instead turn aside and abandon the Lord in order to join the ranks of the wicked. And the psalmist, he he has a warning for those who turn aside in verse 5. He says, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways... the Lord will lead away with evildoers. And let's be crystal clear about who and what is implicated in this verse. Verse 5, again, Alan Ross, he says, the idea of turning aside is, is figurative for abandoning the faith and follow, following, following the way of the Lord and for ancient Israel, also the gods of the world. So this verse is not referring to a small infraction of God's law, or a sin of ignorance, it describes giving oneself over to corrupt activities. So what we're talking about here with those who turn aside, those who turn aside are those who turn from a a false faith and trust in the Lord and cease to walk in His ways in uprightness and heart, following instead... The wicked, trusting in someone or something other than the Lord. It's it's a turning from faith in God. It's an exposing of one's faith as false. And the warning for those who turn is this, that, that one day, one day the wicked And the evildoers will be led away by the Lord. And those who turn aside from the Lord will be led away with them in judgment. That's what we're talking about here. Um, The the near term, the the psalmist might be referring to some kind of... some kind of exile, but I think it's, it's clear here that, that some sort of judgment from the Lord is in view. And, and so what the psalmist is saying here, he's giving a warning to those who trust in the Lord, imploring them to endure in faith. Why? Because to abandon faith in the Lord, even in the face of a scepter of wickedness, to abandon faith in the Lord is to be judged alongside the wicked. Now, why might one be tempted to turn from faith in the Lord 
especially under wicked, unjust, or oppressive rule. I think there are a number of reasons why this might happen, why one might be tempted to stray from faith in the Lord. I'll give you three, three examples. Number one, chasing worldly reward. This is a, this is an, if you can't beat them, then join them kind of thing. Right? One might exchange an eternal perspective for a worldly one. Taking note that, look, it, it's the corrupt and the unjust in the world that are getting ahead. And so, turning aside then is, is a path to get all the things that they have. So turn aside in service of, of a, a pursuit of wealth or power or influence or success or comfort. Chasing worldly reward denies the justice and faithfulness of God to answer the psalmist's prayer in verse 4. And it denies the faithfulness of God to bless and to do good to those who are good. And so says, I'll take that for myself, thank you. Secondly, fear of man. Look, at especially in the face of hostility. And by the way, this is something that we need to be on the lookout for in our culture. I, I'm, I'm no prophet. I don't claim to have a word from the Lord, a, a prophetic word from the Lord uh, for us this morning other than, than the word of God. But I... I would not be surprised if the, if the hostility towards us as followers of Jesus, if, if the heat isn't cranked up in the coming, in the coming years. And it's, look, it's, it's costly to trust in the Lord, and to walk in faithful obedience to Him in the face of those who oppose Him. Especially when those who oppose Him have power. Especially when they have the scepter. Especially when they rule. Especially when they make and pass the laws. Fear of man is, is all about self-preservation. Fear of man says, I want the praise and the, and the approval of man more than I care to have and rest in. The praise and the approval of God more than I, I fear the judgment of God. And so I, I make compromises to gain the approval of others or to avoid the judgment of others or the disapproval of others. This is the, the fear of man. Thirdly, we might be tempted to stray from trust in the Lord due to misplaced trust. In this case, maybe out of impatience or, or fear, one forgets or disregards that it's the Lord's protection that makes those who trust immovable like Mount Zion. Instead, we might turn from trust in the Lord and instead trust in kings and politicians. Psalm 146 warns us, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day his plans perish. And still, we might be tempted to take matters into our own hands, becoming independent or self-reliant. 
We might be tempted to believe the lie. Look, if, if I don't do something about this, then no one will. We might be tempted to become pragmatists, employing the tactics of the wicked and the corrupt because they, they work. The ends justify the means. Look, sin and injustice are tolerated, perhaps even encouraged in pursuit of the ultimate goal, which is the defeat of the wicked and the corrupt. Misplaced trust. I wonder, which of these are you most prone to? As you're scrolling your Twitter or Facebook feed and you see hostility, Which of these are you most prone to? Think about our social and political climate. If if the heat is, in fact, turned up and our, our government and our culture grow increasingly hostile to you and I as followers of Jesus, which of these is your weak point? And we should point out, by the way, we're all guilty of these things to, to some extent. Remember, we're not, we're not talking about a small infraction here. We're talking about being led away from the faith. We're talking about a, a giving of ourselves to another. We're talking about giving of, a, a giving of oneself to corruption and corrupt activities, a, a turning aside from trust in the Lord. Ninth century English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon explains how this turning happens. It's gradual. He says, how sad that men who once walked in the right way should turn aside from it. Observe the course of the false-hearted. First, they look out for crooked ways. Next, they choose them and make them their crooked ways. And then they turn aside into them. They never intended to go back unto perdition. That is damnation, judgment. But only to to make a curve and to drop into the right road again. I was going to come back. That was only a temporary tactic. Look, this is why it's critical for us as Christians to, number one, to humbly note and acknowledge any sinful tendency we have in our hearts to stray from or turn aside from trust in the Lord. We need to to humbly acknowledge it. And secondly, we must be careful to quickly turn back to Him in repentance. We need to repent repent of these sinful tendencies, these, these tendencies towards untrust. The condition of our souls depends on it. Well, that brings us to to verse 3. So far, we have an assurance and we have a a warning that honestly probably leaves us with a bit of a, a pit in our stomach as we see those who turn aside being led away in judgment along with the wicked. That brings us to verse 3, which I said in the intro is really the main emphasis of this entire psalm. I think the structure of this psalm points us to verse 3. And it's in verse 3 that along with the assurance that we have for those who trust and the warning that we have for those who turn, we have a promise 
for those who are enduring. A promise for those who are in the midst of trial. Verse 3 says this, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So first of all, let's observe what this promise is not in verse 3. The promise in verse 3 is not that the wicked will not rule at all. The promise is not that God's people won't be governed by the wicked. The promise is not that God's people won't be ruled by unjust rule or by the crooked. This isn't a psalm about the avoidance of suffering and injustice, trial and tribulation. This is a psalm, remember, about the perseverance of God's people in the midst of suffering injustice, trial, and tribulation. And the promise that Psalm 125 makes is this, that the rule of the wicked, those who oppose both God and his people, that this rule is not permanent. It will not last forever, Christian. It will one day come to an end, to a, a full and final, forever, eternal end. And, and furthermore, in the moment that the, the wicked will not rule for so long, or they, they will not rule so oppressively, so as to lead the faithful who belong to God away from him and away from faith in him. This is really important in light of the warning that we just read in verse 5, isn't it? The promise here is that the wicked will not be allowed to continue to rule to the extent that or to the, the point at which the faithful would be led away. The Lord will preserve his elect. He will bring an end to the, sept, to, to the scepter of wickedness. And listen to this. He will keep those who trust him from becoming the ones who turn aside from him. This is a 1 Corinthians 10.13 kind of promise. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Our God is a God who enables and empowers our endurance, even in the face of, of temptation. This is a, a 1 Corinthians 10.13 kind of promise. It's a, it's a John 6 kind of promise where Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is a John 6 kind of promise, brothers and sisters, that even in the face of persecution and oppression and hostility and injustice, the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, will not lose any 
of all that has been given to him. Psalm 125, it's, it's a promise of perseverance. And it's, it's imploring us, though the words aren't here, though the imperative command isn't present in the text, the, the implied command is this, Christian, trust in the Lord. In the face of wickedness, Jesus will protect and preserve those who truly trust in him so that they are able to persevere in faith. The promise is this. Church, he, he will preserve you. Full stop. He will protect you. Full stop. The charge then is endure in faith, therefore. Psalm 125 completely transforms the way you and I endure suffering, the way you and I endure the scepter of wickedness, doesn't it? Because it's, it's a promise of hope. It's, it's a promise of preservation. And the application of Psalm 125 is, in the midst of trial and tribulation, persecution and justice and undue suffering, that we should endure and not turn aside from him. The application is, is that, that you can endure. He will protect you. I, I began this morning by suggesting that we, we shouldn't just pray prayers for deliverance, but, but that you and I, we should pray more prayers asking the Lord for endurance and, and perseverance and let me suggest that the Psalm 125, this would, this would be a good text to put in our back pocket. This might even be a good text to commit to memory, to, to write on your heart. This is a, this is a good go-to text when you're in the, in the place of having to pray, one of those prayers of, of perseverance. And, and yet, one of the beautiful things about this psalm and its promise of perseverance for the faithful of God is that it gives way to another promise. And that is, in fact, a promise for deliverance. Here, the, the Lord promises to persevere us in faith, but also he, he does promise to deliver us as well. We see this in the final line of the psalm. Final line of verse 5. Peace be upon Israel. This is the psalm's final destination. This is the psalm's final promise. And we know, brothers and sisters, that this promise finds us yes and amen in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Who was truly good and truly righteous. Who was crucified at the hands of evildoers and a scepter of wickedness. And who yet three days later rose from the grave and overcame it all. And who now sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling with the scepter of righteousness and uprightness. 
And these were Jesus, the Prince of Peace. These were his words to his followers before he left them. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And brothers and sisters, Jesus mediates his peace to you and I and his, as his people right now. He, he mediates his peace to his people the world over, especially in times of trouble by way of the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit, which strengthens us, which empowers us and enables us to endure and to persevere. And one day, this peace will be fully realized, not, not just in the life of the believer here on earth, but when the Prince of Peace comes again to remove the wicked once and for all, once and for all from our very midst. And until that day, brothers and sisters, we must pray prayers of perseverance on this side of Jesus' return. Prayers of perseverance are unavoidable. But we pray them, brothers and sisters, knowing that in Christ we cannot be moved and that in Christ you and I will abide forever. Let's pray. Father, Lord, the, the world around us is as Jesus promised it would be. The world is not of you, and so it hates those who are. Lord, we're not of you because of anything that we've done. We're not of you because we're better than anyone else. We're of you because you've chosen us to be yours. You breathed life into our hearts, into our souls. And you've made us your people. You've, you've given us faith as a gift. Father, give us the strength to persevere in this faith. Would we be a, a people, even in the face of trial, especially in the face of trial, especially in the heat of, of hostility and persecution, Would we be a people, Lord, who are immovable, unshakable, who abide in faith in Jesus from this day and forevermore? Lord, we ask these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.